Isn't it great to praise God, not only with our words and with our songs, but also with our tithes and our offerings? You know, uh, I didn't know whether to be happy or sad this morning whenever Pastor announced that I was now a happily old married man. <laughs> I was a bit taken aback. I was still kind of recoiling after uh, when he announced the men's meeting tomorrow night, and um, Sharon turns to me and rather affectionately said, that means no dinner for you tomorrow night. <laughs> to which I rather excitedly replied, yeah, but we're getting a carry out. I've obviously got a lot to learn. I shouldn't have been so excited. I, I should have said something like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, or uh, maybe even better, yes, dear, that's right. No dinner for me. <laughs> it's night again. <laughs> um, I just want to talk to us tonight about what it involves to be a child of God. Uh, that's my theme for tonight, it's a child of God. It's a special theme but I want to build up to that point. You know, Christianity is unique amongst the world religions. It's the only religion that actually places a value and a worth on the individual. You know, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, it's all, uh, in Islam, it's inshallah, which, uh, the will of Allah doesn't really matter. It's all, it's just Allah's will. Buddhism, it's all a process and it's individual. You're, you don't really matter, it's just all a process. But in Christianity, God says that everyone is of worth. Everyone has a value. Everyone has a, a specialness about them. Now, I'm not, touching, I'm not talking in some touchy-feely way. I'm talking in a real way. See, the Bible starts off with a wonderful phrase. It says that whenever talking about God creating the world, he said, then let us make man in our image. So each one of us, as random, as different, as handsome or as ugly as we are, not looking at anyone, I've got to keep looking. <laughs> as different as we all are, we all bear the image of God. And that's a special thing. Whenever you look out there at the news and you look at the, the political scene and you look at what's happening around the world in Syria and China and Russia, whatever, it's sad actually when you think of it as these are people who bear the image of God. And this is where sin comes to play. Sin's terrible because it's, it's obviously an affront against God. It's against his standard. It's against his requirements of man. It's against his, his high righteousness, his holiness. It's, it's an affront to him. But at the same time, it's those who bear his image, either having sin played out on them or playing out sin themselves. That's terrible. It's terrible. Can you imagine it? Just from God's point of view, can you see it? You know, we are busy looking at our lives, looking at politics, looking at the Olympics and all Team GB, and we're looking at things our way. But the Bible wants us to look at things his way. Looks at, look at things from a different perspective. And that's really what I want to do tonight. Have a wee bit of a look at things from a slightly different perspective. Um, you know, uh, it's true that we bear his image but is it not more true that those of us who are the children of God are even more special because we bear his name? Now, I'm not going to, but you know, the tendency is sometimes you can hear all these preachers and they go, you're a child of God, charge. And, you know, especially the American ones who are very, very excited, very enthusiastic. But we in, in Ireland, Northern Ireland, I've got this problem where we're always very negative about ourselves and about our outlook on life and about our potential and about our reality. We're always looking to the negative. I could tell you a million times how many people have told me how bad a, bad a summer it was last year. And I'm going like, actually, it was one of the driest summers in, on record, but they're, but they're going like, it's a terrible summer. It's a terrible summer. I'm going, well, actually, last year wasn't that bad because I record it, so I actually know, but they've got this preconceived negativity. We've all got this preconceived negative slant to our lives, to everything around us. So I want to look at... Um, Look at us as children of God and see what it means to us. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, all the way over. You're almost hitting the book of Revelation and stop. You're almost there. 
1 John 2 and verse uh, 28. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrinking from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter three, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Everyone who thus hopes in him jumped because we shall see him as he is sorry uh, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure we are the children of god we have been given a special position in the universe not only as his image bearers no other creature no other piece of creation can claim to be bearing the image of god but so much so, so much more so us as his children can claim a special position a special privilege um we uh, who once were far from the commonwealth of Israel, we were strangers to the promises of God, far away from all that God knew. He has adopted us. He has brought us close. He paid the price for us at Calvary so that we could then become heirs of the promise. We could become his children. And that is something that's important for us to remember. It's something I want to stir up in us tonight. I want us all to sit and think for a moment that I am a child of God. If you know Jesus as your savior, you have the right to claim that title, that you are a child of God. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but are you a child of God tonight? Have you actually thought to yourself, I am a child of God? The world has this tendency of pigeonholing you in uh, you are this and that's all you are. This is the, the maximum potential you can ever reach, that's it. The world has this way of sort of limiting your, your scope and your vision and saying, you're just someone who lives in Marilyn and that is all that you are. You're someone who does this job and that is all you are. But see, God in the Bible, he, he's come along to raise your view to raise your perspective, to look at things in a slightly different way. Like I said at the beginning, there's no other religion in the world that looks at mankind in the same way. No other religion looks at man and says to man that you are of value, that you are of worth, that you are important, each individual. No other religion in the world ever in the history has ever said that you are a child of God. This is the thing that was the shock in the, the Eastern or in the Middle East whenever um, Christianity came on the scene. Whenever Christianity came into the Greek thinking and they were analyzing things and overthinking, and then along came these men who were rustic Jews and says, "You're a child of God. I've, I, I know God. I am, have been adopted by God." What? And they started to talk about Jesus as the Son of God. They were like, "What? The Son of God?" And now we have been adopted. It's a wonderful thought. So can you say tonight that you are a child of God? That you are one of his? That you're marked by him? You know, if we can get this really, really into our hearts, this is what I want to do tonight, is get this into our hearts, that we are the children of God. You know, it'll change your worldview, change the way you look at things. It'll change the way you approach problems. It'll change the way you, you view your friends and your neighbors. It'll change the way you view everyone in the building. You know, I spoke at my brother's wedding. Uh, um, I uh, give the best man speech. And uh, part of the speech I, I included was the, the phrase I said to, to Amber. I said, Amber, I want you to know that you're marrying my brother. Uh, Amber, I want you to know my brother is a son of God. Not the son, a son of God, just in case you're worried. Um, a son of God. I said, Stephen, I want you to remember when you're, mar you're marrying Amber, you're marrying a daughter of God. That'll change the way husbands and wives treat each other. You know, if you treat them with that level of respect and intimacy and that level of, of reality, we are the children of God. It'll even change the way we act, interact with each other in church. <laughs> so we are unique. Collectively, we are his church. We are often called the bride of Christ. 
but we are his children. He paid a price for us. What a price. He bought us back. Sometimes we need to be reminded he paid the price he did not owe. I owed a price. I owed a debt I could not pay. He redeemed us. You know, at the very least, it's worth an amen. And if anyone's got a hat and wants to throw it in the air, go ahead. Like, <laughs> you know, um, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, you don't need to turn to it. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As his children, he didn't just save us and take us off. Now he has asked us to be his ambassadors to this world. It reminds me of Kofi Annan, who's the, who was the special envoy for the UN to Syria, who just, re, just resigned this week. He was coming from a peaceful world as an ambassador to a hostile world. He was going into Syria, trying to sort everything out, and it wasn't succeeding. Now, that's, a, that's a purely carnal example, but the example's true for us. We're coming from a peaceful world, from a world of eternity, from God's kingdom, and here we are as his children, as his ambassadors, reaching out to a, to a world that's in turmoil, to a world that's in rebellion, to a world that wants nothing to do with him many times. So we are God's authorized uh, representatives here on earth. You know, he hasn't given the right to angels. He hasn't told angels, go out and tell mankind that I love them and I want to save them. He hasn't done that. He doesn't send angels to men daily. What he does is he sends us to men daily. We are the ones who go. You know, uh, you remember the parable of the rich landowner? Whenever uh, he had the, the vineyard and he sent his representatives to the vineyard, he said, go and, and get the, uh, the, the tithe or my share of their profits. Go and get that from him. And the, the, the vineyard tenders, the, the husbandmen, as it says, uh, they went, we're not giving it to him. That means I can keep an extra bit. If we did, I'm keeping this. And then he sent another messenger and they turned him away again, sent another one. They beat him, sent another one. Eventually he sent, his, sent the son of the, the landowner and they killed him. You know, we all know the story. It's about uh, the prophets and about the, them leading the way for Christ. But would it be wrong to assume that in some way it now refers to us and the second coming of Christ? You know, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it, Paul speaking, he wants to warn us. He wants to warn us of, um, uh, he would not have us outwitted by Satan, for we, would not, uh, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant of his devices, some versions say. The enemy knows that we bear God's image, so he wants to mar it. He knows that we are God's children, so he wants to destroy God's call in our lives, God's mission for our lives. So he will attack us. He will come up with things and, and ways and means. Sometimes a full frontal assault. From, sometimes the world falls apart and we don't know where to turn. Sometimes the devil will use things like that, circumstances. Other times it's much more subtle. Other times he comes at us in a way we just don't expect. We, if the devil was to walk up and slap us in the face, we'd probably all jump up. I resist you, Satan, we'd say. But he doesn't do that very often. Often he comes through the people around us. He comes through our work, you know. There's what's the, the line from that movie. Uh, the movie said, the best trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. Couldn't be said that the best trick he ever played against Christians was to, to say that he never doesn't do anything against you. That all's gonna be hunky-dory now that you're a Christian, now that you're a child of God. It's not true. God is a good God and God has saved us. He has adopted us, brought us into his family into the very family of God, how much more will he attack us? So tonight, I want to encourage you and I want to warn you as well. I want to encourage us, first of all, to remember the who we are in Christ, to remember our position as his children, to remember that we are the children of God. And at the same time, I want to warn us, warn us all because we're all, we're all living this life we're all walking the same path. And I warn us that we have an enemy who's real and who wants to thwart us, who wants to oppose us. But he's a defeated enemy. He's a defeated foe who's only sniping from the sidelines because we have a God who's greater than anything he can do.
So to start, what I want to do tonight, really, is look at four Old Testament characters. And I know what you're thinking. They're all in the one verse. It's okay. So four Old Testament characters. And we'll look at their lives and see if, there's, see if we can glean any insights into what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be child of God, what it means for us. And I also want to glean from the same four characters four different ways the enemy will try and uh, thwart God's plan for our lives. So if you can turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. And automatically everyone knows who the the four characters are. Or do you? Daniel chapter 1. And it's one of the major prophets. Daniel chapter 1 verse 3. Um, just a wee bit of background history is that um, Israel, the kingdom was split and Israel has gone. All is left is Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar has marched into Judah as if they didn't even have an army. He's defeated them. He, has, uh, he actually ends up defeating them three times. He puts a puppet on the throne. Um, uh, I won't go into the, the story, but it's a fascinating story. Um, so what he's done is he decides he's going to get the cream of the crop. He's going to get the best people in Israel and bring them back to Babylon. Sort of as a trophy, if you think of it that way. Uh, says Verse 3 says, Then the king commanded uh, Ashpenza, the chief eunuch, uh, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. Uh, They were to be educated for three years, sounds like university. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. I'm just going to stop there. It's an interesting story. I won't go into it, but hopefully if you're doing a devotional reading, you're looking for something to read, you'll read the stories. It's fascinating to see what, what the interactions with the king and, and the, the nation. But I want to look at those four people there mentioned in, uh, in that verse. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, look at the, I want to look at their Hebrew names and their Babylonian names. And see if we can glean something from it. I can remember actually when I worked in the Bank of Ireland, there was a uh, painting in the, the canteen and it was called the Gleaners. And all it was just a normal painting. And there's these guys and the Gleaners were people who went behind the, the, whenever they were bringing in the harvest, the Gleaners went behind them and picked up whatever they could. And this reminds me of it. But I want to glean from this what we can, see if there's something of, of value in this. So each of the names, first of all, you had Daniel. Daniel means judge of God. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means he who resembles God or he who, uh, who, who is what God is. Azariah means God has helped. Each of those names, what a quartet. I believe each of these names give us a glimpse into the Christian life and into what it is to be a, a child of God. First of all, Daniel. Daniel, judge of God. He's called, we are called, as the people of God, we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. We're called to be different, to bring a different perspective, to look at things from the Bible's point of view, look at the things the way God looks at things. You know, uh, we don't just follow a religion. This is a worldview. This just doesn't, it's not a wee simple thing. It's a worldview. This is how we view everything in the world. You know, we look at things uh, of the world, not from some racial or political point of view, but from a biblical perspective. We see sex trafficking as another word for slavery. We see honor killing as murder. We even see pro-choice as murder. That's different. It's different from this world's point of view. You see, we are called to make it clear of what is right and wrong. There's a distinction. You never lift a rock. You do it when you're a kid anyway. You lift a rock and there's all these bugs underneath it. 
And as soon as you do, what do the bugs do? They run from the light. That's what happens around us. Um, we are uh, called to make it clear what is right and what is wrong, especially theologically, but also to highlight those things around us that are wrong. You know, if we lived in a land where it was okay to cheat and to lie, would it be okay for us to cheat and lie? No. As believers, we should stand up and say, this is not right. If we lived in a land where it was okay to change your wife every couple of days or every couple of years, I'm saying this for Sharon's point of view. Uh, if, it, if we lived in a land where it was okay to do that, would it be all right? No, it wouldn't be. Of course not, darling. Uh, you know, and the point is not that we are called to judge the world because we're not called to judge the world. But you see, the world, when they hear us saying, that's not right, they hear us judging, but we're not judging. It's the word of God that is in us. It is the word of God which says, that's not right, that's wrong. It's the word of God that points out murder's murder, whether you do it to a, you know, a, a fetus or you do it to a three-year-old or a five-year-old. It's the same, same thing. So we are called as God's people. We will appear as God's people, I should say, to be judges, but we're not. It's the word of God that judges people and it's the word of God that highlights the, the sin in people's lives. Next was Hananiah. Hananiah means God is gracious. Isn't it true? God has been gracious to us. Hasn't he done so much for us? Hasn't he lifted us from the miry clay? Is God gracious in your life? Do you believe that God has been gracious to you? Do you believe that he has lifted you up, put you in a place with him that we don't deserve? You know, as mentioned earlier, he paid a price he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. You know, I'm reminded of the woman who, who washed the feet of Jesus. Remember, she washed and she dried it with her hair. You know, he and, you know, the, the, out of the story we get the, you know, he who's forgiven much is thankful much. Aren't we thankful? Hasn't God been gracious to us? As a child of God, shouldn't, grace, shouldn't that thankfulness, shouldn't that acknowledgement of God's graciousness be something that characterizes our life? God has been gracious to us. So we can say with Hananiah, we can say, amen. We deserved deserved so much less than what we got. We got so much more than we deserved. We deserved judgment. We deserved to be left to our own devices and to put her off into chaos. But him and his gracious glove and his gracious care reached out to each and every one of us. And if you're a child of God tonight, you know that he is gracious. Is there not a part of Hananiah in us as the children of God? Then we come to Mishael. Mishael, which means he who resembles God. What a lofty title. I don't know if I would like to be called he who resembles God. It's bad enough trying to resemble God, being gracious and all that, but it's he who resembles God. What a lofty and noble title. Now, I do not believe that this is a physical resemblance. This is obviously a spiritual resemblance. Are we not called to be like Jesus? What is the old song? To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. We see those around us differently. As believers, as the children of God, with our perspective on the world now changed by God, we see everyone around us differently. We see those around us as he sees those around us, not as neighbors and friends and acquaintances, but as people who are lost in their sins and needing saving. We see them as people who are hurting, people who are wounded, people who are suffering, people who are lost in a confused fog and need to be saved. We reach out to those people with, and we are moved just as Jesus was moved with compassion. We're moved with compassion. We're moved to help people. That's why we go on mission trips. That's why we help in charity shops. We have family fun days. We have the Christmas thing coming up. It's because we want to reach out to people. We want to show them that there is another way. We want to introduce them to Jesus. We want to introduce them to our Savior, to our Lord and our God. So we proclaim boldly the good news and the acceptable day of the Lord. 
Is there not a part of Mishael in us as well, as children of God? And last, we come to Azariah. Azariah, which means God has helped. You know, I can testify that God has helped. He's helped me physically. He's helped me emotionally, financially, situationally. God is a good God. There's been times throughout my life where I have known afterwards many times that God has helped me through that. God has carried me through that. There's something I faced and I couldn't deal with it. And I can say God has helped. You know, uh, when God promised Israel a land flowing of milk and honey, he promised them, uh, it was an awesome promise, but which we skip over and we don't understand. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Honey, in the purest form, doesn't go off. You can eat it years and years and years afterwards. You can still eat it. Not that many people would, but you can. Uh, most times if you, see, if you see mold in it or something, it's because the butter from the knife's been stuck in it. But, but honey doesn't go off. Look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> but milk, on the other hand, starts to go off practically as soon as it, it's, it's drawn from the cow, unless it's treated. If there's any farmers near, they can probably say that's right as well. Um, so God had promised them a land where they'd be blessed eternally and blessed in the here and now. God wants to help us in the here and now as well as in the eternally. It doesn't mean we won't face things, but it means that he has helped us and he will help us. So no matter what you're facing tonight, remember you're a child of God and you have access to the very throne room of heaven and that God of heaven wants to help. He wants to be involved. What, what parent wouldn't want to be involved with their children? doesn't matter how far away they run from, you know, you were, we're talking this morning, pastor was talking this morning about the prodigals. doesn't matter how far a prodigal runs, the, the parents still want to be involved and want to help out. So God has helped. What about Azariah? Can you see any of Azariah in your experience with God? Now these four men, remarkable men, remarkable names, at this point in the story, they still haven't done anything. And I'm not going to what they, what, they, what they did. I don't want us to jump ahead in what we're thinking. I want us to stay on what I'm speaking about, speaking on their names. But as they moved to Babylon, as they were embraced by the culture, as they were uh, paraded as trophies of another nation, what they, what they did was the Babylonians renamed them. They decided that we'll get these ones who are the best of the best. And what we'll do is we'll make them like us. And we'll teach them our ways. So if we turn, uh, we're in the right same verse there, same chapter, I should say. First uh, Daniel, ch verse seven, it says, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. I have to go very slow with those names. <laughs> it's, it always amazes me how we only ever refer to, we refer to Daniel as Daniel, but we always refer to the other three as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. We never ever refer to their Hebrew names, which always amazes me. But anyway, it's just like Doubting Thomas. We still call him Doubting Thomas, but he wasn't the doubter at the end. You know. So each of these names, I believe, just as their Hebrew names hinted at something for the child of God. I believe the same is true for their Babylonian names. I believe they hinted at something. And I want to look at it briefly. Daniel was named Belshazzar, which name means Bel's prince or keeper of Bel's secrets. Bel was one of the names of, the Bab of a Babylonian god. Here they were flattering David. They wanted to woo him with a special position. There's a sense of attraction to popularity. You know, this isn't the message, by the way. This part of the message, this isn't just, this isn't for kids. This isn't just, a, you know, Sunday school kids. Now, you remember the devil's going to do this and the devil's going to do that. Because this is a message that, is, that, that covers me. It refers to me. The devil wants to attract you. He wants to woo you. He wants to draw you away. Just as this name implied for Daniel. Belshazzar, they, they wanted to woo him. You know, you give him the name of our God. We'll give him a wee bit of a special thing. We'll bring him close. He'll be like us. He'll be with us. And he'll forget his God and he will embrace our God. Join us and be popular. Join us and run with the crowd. Join us and fit in. Be accepted. The world will tempt us with all these things. 
You know, I, I know what it's like as an adult. I can say I'm an adult. You know, I've been away on business trips. I've been away over in England, fitting out a new shop, having a meetings, spending 12 hours in a, a boardroom talking about business and what we're going to do for the future. I've been in those meetings, come out afterwards, gone to dinner at a restaurant. I've been there and seen what the temptation that, to be drawn in. You know, sit with us. Oh, sit with us a wee while longer in the bar. Sit with us and share a conversation, share a few jokes. Sit with us, have a few drinks. Sit with us and become like us. And then the attraction is because you go, oh, I want to, I want to succeed in business. I want to get a bit further in my job. I want, to, I want to fit in. I want to be accepted. I want my, my area manager to push me for the next promotion because he likes me because I fit in. Is that not an adult problem as much as it is something that young people deal with every day? The world, the devil, they want us to fit in, not to be different, not to be marked as a child of God, but to be marked as someone who's just like everyone else. Hananiah was renamed Shadrach, which means commanded by a coup. Don't ask me who a coup is. I don't really mind. Um, I do not think we need to go into each of the deities and what they all mean, uh, but instead keep it general. Hananiah which means Yahweh is gracious, is being corrupted. And instead of grace, there is command. Instead of love, there is obligation. Instead of adoration, there is religion. There's a change there. Now this is something that the world does, the devil does, but he doesn't do it out there as much as he does it in here. You know, is there a point where where our love for reading the Bible becomes an obligation to read the Bible, a chore. Sometimes it is, and that's okay. Keep reading. But I'm, re I'm reminded of, uh, the, I think it was the screw tape letters, where the, um, the, uh, a demon is reporting to a chief demon. He's been given the mission of distracting a Christian and taking him away from the enemy who's God. And this demon's saying, it's terrible. I can't do it. The demon's saying, it's, this is nightmare. He reads the Bible every day. Well, I can't, and he reads the Bible and God talks to him through the Bible. The enemy talks to him. He says, oh, what else? And he says, well, then the worst thing is at night, he goes for long walks and he talks to the enemy. I can't get a word in there. And the chief demon goes, looks to him, you've made a mistake. You've done it all wrong. You should have told him that if he reads the Bible, then he'll get nice wee verses to remember and he'll get catchphrases and he'll become... We'll, everyone will think he's super spiritual. And if he reads other books, then he'll be looked intellectual. And slowly but surely, you will change the reason for him reading the Bible. Tell him instead of going for a walk to talk to God, tell him he needs the exercise. Tell him he's got a few pounds on there. And he makes it a chore. And he makes it a religious exercise. Isn't that something the devil wants to do with, uh, with us as children of God? We should be excited about the opportunity to come to church. Anytime you ever think, oh, I can't believe I'm going to church again, just think there's people out there who can't go to church. Whether they're sick or they're in a persecuted country or there is no church near them, we should be glad to come to church, glad to read the word. Don't look at it as a, I have to. Look at it as a, I get to. I get to read this. How many other religions, they don't get to read their words? Look at Catholicism before the Reformation. They didn't get to read the words. We get to read it. This is exciting. But that's what the world wanted to do to uh, Hananiah. They wanted to turn him into Shadrach, make it all obligation. Mishael is next. Mishael becomes Meshach. I'm getting through these rightly. Don't worry, we'll get there. Mishael becomes Meshach. Meshach means he who is what a coup is or at the command of the moon god. Remember Mishael. Let's get this page again. Uh, his name was he who resembles God or he who is what God is. So there's a subtle change here. Subtle change to his name. They're actually a bit of a wee bit of a mock to it. They're mocking him slightly. Aku was one of the trinity of Babylonian gods. They had a 
unholy trinity, if you want to call it that, the temptation that we will face, that we all face, is that we read the word and we pick and choose those things about God which we like and leave out those things about God which we don't like. We embrace his love, but we reject his judgment. We cheer for his compassion, but we plug our ears against his ridicule of the Pharisees. We take the God of the Bible and make a God who appears similar to him. We make, we do, we do it a wee bit, our own, ourselves, even Bible-believing people, we do it a wee bit. We all have this tendency, I like this about God and not so much happy about that. You know, the Greek word in, the, in John there, when they're talking about the Antichrist, um, uh, in First John, they, when they're talking about the Antichrist, they're talking about not someone who is totally different from God, not someone who is like, there's devil and there's God. Not, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about there's God and there's the devil. Very close, similar, looks very similar. Except one's a wee bit longer than the other, but still, they're very similar. So it's the same thing here. What they're doing to uh, Mishael and making him Meshach is uh, corrupting his love of God, corrupting his understanding of the real God. They don't want to see themselves as needing a savior. They would rather the wise, gracious, compassionate, social activist God who is just like the moon, a pale reflection of the real Jesus. Finally, we have Azariah, who is twisted into Abednego. Everyone loves that name. It's, what was the song you sing? Meshach, Shadrach, and into Abednego. Um, at least that's one my mom used to sing to me. <laughs> uh, this name means servant of Nebo. Uh, this deity was extra special to the Babylonians. They liked to name themselves after him. For example, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebo, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this was the God of wisdom, the God of their world. You know, I know how difficult it is to live uh, Christian life in this world. Uh, the world gets into your head, it gets into your heart, it affects how you think, it affects how you view things, it affects everything. You know, uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you've something's, the bottom's fallen out of something and you're going like, what am I going to do? And automatically you start to think of things in the way every man thinks of things. And well, my wages come in in this time. I can pay for that. And I've got a wee bit of an overdraft there. Or I've got a bit on my credit card I can do there. Or maybe I can call such and such and they can come and cover me. Or maybe this could work. And you start to work it all out. It's not the way of the world. We all try to work something out. Have you ever met people in business, especially I meet them, who, who try to get around the corner to sneak something out, to work a move? It's the way of the world to work things out and to do things in a flat level. But let me encourage you, we're children of God. We're called, we've got a relationship with God. We've got a, a helpline. <laughs> I don't like to use the phrase helpline, but we have a God who is willing to help, a God who wants to get involved, a God who's willing to get involved. You know, if you listen to the world, if you get involved in their way of things, you get involved and even if you don't spend any time in his word or any time in prayer, or you don't spend any time in enjoying his companionship, his, his fellowship, you start to feel, you know, the, the baser emotions welling up in you, hatred and jealousy and anger and viciousness and you start to view everything in a very normal and flat way. This world feeds those baser emotions and by doing it gives ascendancy to them in our lives. So instead of enjoying the freedom and liberty that we have as the people who God has helped, which is his first name, instead we are trying to use the wisdom of this world to work out our issues. Even when it comes to personal issues with, with individuals, well, if I do this, then I've, done my, I've made my peace. Sometimes you have to go a wee bit beyond what you think. So instead of trusting God, we are trusting ourselves and our ability, which leads us a long way from Azariah and right on to Abednego's doorstep. So these are some of the enemies that come against us, some of the things the enemy will use against us. And uh, some of the, the, the tactics he will use, but don't be dismayed. Despite their daily harassment, these, these four men, 
despite the fact that every day someone met them in, this, in the palace, they were saying their Babylonian name, despite the, the fact that their kingdom was gone and, uh, and the, the king was then killed, and, or actually he wasn't killed, but uh, despite he was in slavery and bes- despite all those things, read on the rest of the story and see what they did. Read about the fiery furnace. Read about the lion, Daniel and the lion's den. Now, it didn't just happen to them. They just didn't go through the lion's den or the fiery furnace because they were Jews. It wasn't their Jewishness that saved them. It was their relationship and their trust with God that saved them. And that, again, is a testimony to us. Now, this brings us up to date. This brings us right up to the current day. I want to look at... uh, uh, John 17, if we could turn over there to John 17 really quick. Um, bouncing back over to the New Testament because the word itself, you know, it, it, it interprets the word. The word interprets the word. John 17, verse 14. Now this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying for, his, uh, praying for the church. He's praying for his children. He's praying for us. And he's praying, John 17, verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. It's very positive, isn't it? It's very assured. Sometimes that's what we need to do. I am a child of God. There is a confidence that we have to assume in our prayers, in our, in our approach to God. Not we're approaching him, you know, all proud and puffed up but that we're confident see the world would have us doubt have us question have us are you really but if you've done that that doesn't mean you're still a child of God you're a child of God if you've accepted him as your savior if you've been adopted into his family that their prayer by Jesus is confident there's a there's an assurance to it there's not a if you fancy, Lord, if you fancy, Father, could you bless them? Could you look after them? It's not like that at all. It's a confidence. It's assured. You know, are you a child of God tonight? Do you know him as your heavenly father? You know, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. It's an important distinction to make. Jesus in his high priestly prayer for us seems to be emphasizing truth. Your word is truth. It's important that we keep that in mind as well. There's a truth that the world presents, a truth that is carnal, uh, that is at odds with the word of God. But we need to keep in mind that his word is truth. Remember we were talking at the beginning there about the, the, the attacks of the enemy and the, the methods he used against us. Don't let your thoughts become consumed with what the enemy will do. Be aware of them. But just as... You, you know, just as in our prayers, we don't pray against the devil all the time, we pray to God. In the same way, it's important that we keep God in focus and we're aware that the enemy's moving times to do things. And that verse at the beginning, you know, in Second Corinthians, or, yeah, Second Corinthians 2, it says, do not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices or his designs. He is always out there trying to get under our head, into our head and under our skin but we do not have to face this alone. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Greater is is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You should get up every morning and say that. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. This isn't a a pep talk for sort of emotional highs. This is a reality because an emotional high will wear off, but a reality that you know, that you know, that you know will be there whenever you need it. It'll be there whenever you do face the problems. It'll be there whenever the enemy's trying things. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
two verses I've always hold, held on to. That's been one of them. The other one I've always held on to is... Uh, uh, gone out of my mind right now. No, no. Um, uh, the earth is the Lord's. Uh, I don't know. God gives it. I has gone out of my mind. Um, he gives it to whomsoever he wills. Yes. So greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Remember it. Remember the words. So who is in us? Who abides in us? Who lives in us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God who re- re- lives in us, resides in us. You know, the, the, remember the verse where Jesus said, I go that I might send another comforter. The word comforter, it's, it's, it doesn't translate well into our English. Uh, in modern English, in, in old English it did, but now it is, it's comforter. We think of someone who puts, just puts an arm around you and goes, there, 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 comforts you. But it's made of two old English words. The first one was co- communion, for come, come. We have communion with him. That means intimacy, that means uh, honesty, that means your, your emotions, your thoughts is led bare before him. He knows you intimately. So the comforter comes along and the Holy Spirit comes along and he knows us intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And forte, or forte which is a musical term, in the orchestra, the only instrument that, is, uh, that you could adjust the sound uh, was the piano. I'm looking at the, the, the musicians now. Uh, it was the piano and you could apply the pedal, so they called it the piano forte. Forte was to do with strength. So it's communion of strength. He is there to be our strength, to help us when we need it. Whenever the enemy's out trying one of these attacks on us, trying to do something with us, if we have got a relationship with God, if we are stirring up our faith, if we're talking to the Holy Spirit, if we're in communion with him, he will give us the strength. He will open our eyes to the attacks of the enemy and reveal that is something that will lead us down a wrong path. It's vital as believers, we develop our spiritual muscles. You know, we've been talking about the Olympics, the few people, um, you know, it's, it's, great. I haven't been seeing very much of it this week, unfortunately, but the Olympics are great. It's, uh, it's great for us, even as believers, to think about it. You know, those guys just didn't show up. They just didn't appear on the day and go out and grab a racket. They've been training. They've been cycling to work. They've been swimming every morning. They've been rowing every week. They've been working and working and working. I even heard about one of the, the British swimmers, actually, who was doing ballet lessons in order to get better because it was do body position and something. A bit of a lady, a bit of a, there you go. But it's remarkable. It's important for us as believers that we are exercising. Not that we're seeing it as a chore, but as we uh, look at it as our lifeline to God, as, as, a, as something we get to do, encourage ourselves to seek God, to stir it up. But at the same time, it's important that we are careful with our priorities, careful with those things that we give value to, careful with those things that we give our affections to. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's sort of how they get in there. That's how the, the devil wants to do is get into our affections and oh, I really want that, or I would really like this, or I would like to go there. And in a way then, in order to get there, I need to work this hard and I need to get this and work. And it's through those things that we desire that often the enemy can get the biggest foothold in our lives. Oh, I really need to get that in my life. I need to get that in my house. So if I do, then I have to maybe compromise a wee bit here. See how it starts. Corrie ten Boom said, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God opens your fingers, prize your fingers open. So I want to encourage you tonight. You are a child of God if you know him as your savior. You've been adopted in his family. You have nothing to fear from the enemy's attacks. You have a help when you need it in Christ. You have a help in the Holy Spirit. He resides in you. I encourage you to, to, to sink into the word, to get it, to absorb as much of the word as possible. Sometimes Sharon and I, we, we, we read the Bible and stuff, but we watch, sometimes watch some 
some decent preaching videos and stuff to surround ourselves with the word. You don't dig, you don't dig a ditch hoping it'll be filled with water whenever it starts to rain. You dig it before it rains. You don't build a house on a rock when it's raining. You build it before it rains. So let me just encourage you with that. You know, we, when I was a kid, I remember we used to leave the house every morning. You know, we never actually prayed, I am a child of God, but we used to pray, I'm the head and not the tail, I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed when I come in, I'm blessed when I go out. And what that was, was a way to set us up for the day. It was my dad's simple way of, of setting us up, making us aware of who we are before the day began. And there's something good in that, something invaluable in that to remember that we are the children of God, that we have a, a Father in heaven. We can cry out, Abba, Father. Cry out to him and he hears us. That's something that will change our worldview, change our lives. All right. Thank you. Thanks, thanks very much, Jason. A wonderful word and just a blessing tonight. And uh, just uh, I have to remember a couple of prayer requests tonight. Uh, just think of Margaret Brady over there in Scotland, who's burying her, her stepfather on Tuesday. Just remember the whole family circle over there. And also the Corey family, the passing away of Joe Sr. Just remember them also this week. So we'll just close in prayer here and just commit them to the Lord, okay? Just thank you, Father, for tonight, Father God. Just thank for your blessing, for your word, Father God. And I just pray as your word will go forth tonight, Father God, that it has not returned void, but it will accomplish what has been sent to it. It will bring forth a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold, Father God. And Father God, just bring these two families before you tonight, Father God, to bereave in the loss of their loved ones, Father God, but yet they both know you as Saviour and Lord, Father God, but they'll miss them, Father God. And just ask you, Father God, just be a tower strength to him at this time, Father God. Just bless him right now, Father God. And just bless us this week as we go out, Father God. We ask that your hand be upon us. Just lead and guide us and direct us, Father God. And just let us, just to share something with somebody, Father God, in the workplace or in the school or wherever we might be in the neighborhood, Father God. Just let us be blessing. Just let us give away from ourselves, Father God. And we just thank you for your word today, Father God. And the praise and worship and being in your house, Father God, with your people, Father God, just to magnify and praise you, Father God. And Father God, we just ask you just part us with your blessing right now, Father. Just keep us safe. Just keep your hand upon us, Father God. We thank us right now in your precious name. Amen.